Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Christian Podcast. This is your host, Dane Kramer, and I want to thank you for joining me today. If you're new to me or to this podcast, you can always go to my website to find out more information. That's The Thinking Christian. That's all one word, thethinkingchristian.us. That will take you to my website, and there you'll find information about this podcast. You'll find all previously released podcasts. You will find information about me. You'll find some articles, uh, some blogs that I've written in the past, and some other information about my interests. So if you are interested, feel free to take a look. Just go to thethinkingchristian.us. And as always, you can subscribe to this podcast if you listen to it and you like the way it's going and you like what we're talking about here. Uh, feel free, and I would encourage you to subscribe. You can do that from Apple iTunes. You can do that from Stitcher, from Google Play, from Android. You can get the RSS feed, feed right off of my podcast and uh, plug it into your favorite podcasting app and get it that way, and most apps will allow you to subscribe to the podcast. Also, one thing, if you don't mind, I would encourage you to do this. If you're listening on a particular platform, such as Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Um, you know, give me a, a star review and, you know, one through five, whatever suits your fancy. Um, even if it's negative, you know, anything at this point would be welcome. So uh, don't hesitate to, to leave a review after listening to the podcast. And as always, you can go to uh, like my website and you can react. Uh, you can respond. You can reply. You can fill out information and, and interact with me if you don't like what I have to say or even if you do like it. Um, feel free to do that. Again, this is the Thinking Christian Podcast, and what I am interested in doing here is um, maintaining my Christianity while I think through the processes of life, through I, as I think through the processes of everything. You know, I have been an investigator now for almost 35 years, and it's hard for me to set that mindset aside. You know, I, as an investigator, I'm led by the evidence and I try not to get too emotional about the topic and just listen to what is being said, listen to what is being talked about and try to respond to it in a rational, logical uh, way. And I can't help but bring that to my Christianity and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that's not uh, that I think that's a very good thing to be able to think. And that's what this whole podcast is about is just thinking rationally and reasonably as we deal with life through a Christian perspective. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. Would Jesus drive an SUV? Um, now, <laughs> kind of a funny topic, I think, but I heard that oh, quite a few years ago. And um, I, I think it was some sort of talking point on some political show or something along those lines. I read a couple blogs entitled that. And I think the the question comes from, the question being, would Jesus drive an SUV? I think it comes from... Um, someone trying to bring Jesus into their own agenda. Um, you know, for example, I think the question, would Jesus drive an SUV is really about, would Jesus drive a gas guzzler? Would he be concerned about emissions? Would he be uh, concerned about, um, uh, you know, the things that an SUV brings uh, to the table as opposed to, let's say, uh, a hybrid electric car? And those kinds of things are of great interest to a lot of people. And so I think it's kind of our nature sometimes to think, well, if this is important to me, it's got to be important to God, right? 
And and if my opinion on this is such and such, I bet you God thinks the same way. You know, we we're kind of like that. We we kind of tend to think that God views things the same way as we do. And so to ask the question, would Jesus drive an SUV, I think is really trying to bring him into our agenda. There's there's something I might feel passionate about, and so I try to make it seem that Jesus is passionate about the same thing. And typically, uh, these questions really have to do with political opinions and things like that. But, you know, I'll, I'll give my answer to that question. Would Jesus drive an SUV? Now, first of all, I don't know what he'd drive, um, but I, I would say this. I don't think that Jesus is, is as interested in political ideas as you and I might be. Now, I say that based on how I understand the scriptures, um, and I'm going to talk about a few instances here today in this podcast um, and to, to try to develop my point with you. Uh, again, this is just my opinion. So the end of the show, all you'll get is my opinion, and you feel free to uh, embrace it or disregard it at your pleasure. But I just want to talk about a few things. Um, you know, I, I'll say this to start off with. I don't see that Jesus was uh, lured into any kind of political debate or issue, and I don't see him taking sides with issues. I see Jesus very very focused on the kingdom of God. Now, I talked about the kingdom of God a couple of podcasts ago. If you haven't listened to those episodes, I would encourage you to go back and, and give those a listen. Um, that this is, those were in season three, so just a few weeks ago. But I see Jesus as really not taking on these political issues and instead remaining almost apolitical, you know, without a political opinion. Uh, but he was very, very focused on the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, in John chapter 6, Jesus was, um, well, in John chapter 6, Jesus actually had just fed the multitude. Uh, he performed one of his really coolest miracles, took a small boy's lunch and fed uh, quite a few people with it. And um, this really roused the crowd. I mean, they were uh, quite impressed with him. And as a matter of fact, in John chapter 6, verse 15, we read that the crowd had actually made an attempt to make Jesus, by force, their king. They wanted to make Jesus a king, and they were really ready to take him by force and, and compel him um, to this position. And when I say make him their king, I'm not referring to you know, getting down on their knees and accepting Jesus into their heart, as you and I might call it. Uh, they weren't ready to be forgiven from their sins and to, to pledge their allegiance to him. What they were really interested in, in my opinion, in John chapter 6, was making him their political king. They wanted Jesus to take a throne in Jerusalem now, to reign from that throne with a crown on his head and a scepter in his right hand, and to to lead the troops of Israel, perhaps against Rome or any other threat that they uh, felt needed uh, to feel their wrath. And so they were really looking for a political king. And if you're familiar with the New Testament era, you know that this is really what most, I think most uh, Jewish um people were of the mindset of, and that was they were looking for a political Messiah. And when Jesus saw that this was about to happen in John chapter 6, when he saw the the wave turning and that this was the mindset of the people, uh, we read that he withdrew himself. He, he went by himself away. I think he went to the mountain. Uh, he was not at all interested in having this take place. Uh, he was not interested in the the uh the power or the political position of a king he was interested in being their spiritual messiah that's it anything else 
other than that was of no interest to him. And so in that example, we see Jesus uh, was really just focused on the kingdom of God. Um, you know, and there are many other occasions where this, um, things like this had happened. Another one that I can think of is, um, in Matthew chapter 22, really one of my favorite occasions, Jesus was engaged in a conversation by the religious leaders. They were looking for a way to trip him up. They, they really wanted to engage him and somehow, uh, either cause his popularity with the crowds to greatly shift or at least maybe say something that they could convict him of a crime of and therefore arrest him and just do away with him. And so they sent their, their brightest people to Jesus in the in the town square so to speak in other words in a very very public setting with the purpose of trying to entrap him and one of the questions that they asked him was really a hot very very hot question and that is should we pay taxes to Caesar or not now let me give you a little bit behind this question because it's a loaded loaded question and it was a question i believe on the minds of every hebrew in Jesus day um Rome had conquered the land. They were occupying the area of what we call Palestine in Jesus' day, and uh, they had taken it by force. And therefore, Israel, the Jewish nation, was no longer autonomous. They were no longer running themselves. They were being run by Rome. And many Jews saw this as a slap on the face. They saw themselves as God's chosen people. They felt that they should be free to uh, govern themselves and and uh, they should be the ones running Rome, not Rome running them. And to make matters worse, Rome was actually insisting that they pay them tribute, that they give them tax money. Their hard-earned money was not going to run their own affairs, but was going back to Rome somewhere to make the emperor feel more comfortable, I suppose. And so it really, really boiled the blood of Jews in Jesus' day to have to take their hard earn money and pay it to Rome. Now, um, so there were many in Jesus' day who, who, who felt like, we need to stop this. We, we can't be doing this. You know, as, as the people, the chosen people of God, we need to, to revolt. Uh, these were often called the zealots. They were a group of people with a political ideas of, of really rebelling against Rome. And I think they were planning on an overthrow, which was attempted a few years later. Um, after, after Jesus, about 40 years later. But anyways, in any event, they came to Jesus and they asked him, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, I said this was a question, I think, on most everyone's mind in Jesus' day, but the answer that anybody had to give was one that was whispered in the confines of their own home, not spoken out publicly, because whatever answer you give could lead you to trouble. And that's exactly what they were trying to do with Jesus. They were trying to entrap him by making a public commitment to one way or another. If Jesus said, uh, no, let's not pay our taxes to Caesar, well, he certainly would have won the hearts and the minds of the crowd, because I think everyone there didn't want to pay tax to Caesar. But the problem of with saying, no, let's not pay our money to Caesar, uh, is that would have made him... Um, an insurrectionist. It would have made him against the Roman government and the religious leaders, 
who were looking for a way to trip Jesus up, would have taken this information, went right to Rome, the Roman authorities, and said, you got a guy down there in the temple who's teaching don't pay tax to, to Rome. Now, that would have gotten Rome's attention and probably would have uh, uh, brought an arrest about. Uh, they probably would have arrested Jesus for doing that, and that's what they were trying to do. And if Jesus would have said, yes, let's pay our taxes to Rome, then I think the whole crowd would have turned on him. At this point, they were expecting a, a leader, a Messiah, who was going to lead them against Rome. And therefore, if he said, we need to pay our taxes, I think most people would have said, you know, forget this guy, and would have left him. And, and that would have suited the religious leaders very much. Jesus' response to this question is nothing short of brilliant. Um, when they ask him, and they press him for an answer, he said, uh, well, let me see a coin. Show me a coin. And someone produced a coin and handed it to him. Evidently, he looked at it and asked them another question. He said, now, whose image is on this coin? Uh, the Roman coinage was probably a lot like our coins in that they had the, the profile or the face of, of the emperor on it. In those days, we have the profile or face of, of presidents on our coins. So he asked them, whose image is this? And the response is, that's Caesar's. And I just love this. You know, he tossed the coin back to him and said, okay, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, okay, well then, if that coin has Caesar's image, it must be his. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Now, I can't help but think that what Jesus is probably calling upon is way back in the book of Genesis at creation, when God created humankind, we read that he created us, humans, in his image, that we were created in the image and likeness of God. And so when Jesus asked the, his listeners whose image is on this coin, and they said, it's Caesar's, well, well, give it to Caesar. But give it to God what belongs to God. Well, what belongs to God? Well, you and I bear his image. The coin has the image of Caesar, but you and I have the image of God. And so he said, if that belongs to Caesar, give it to him, whatever. But you need to give what belongs to God to God, which is us. And, 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 and it's, it's the most brilliant answer possible. <laughs> I mean, who could argue with that? Yeah, if this coin belongs to Caesar, let him have it. It's just money. But what's really important is that you give yourself to God. You know, I, I, what, what this situation tells me is that Jesus took a political charged question. It was probably one of the most charged questions of his day. And he turned it into a, oh, uh, not a political issue, but a spiritual issue. I mean, he turned it into something spiritual. Uh, another situation that's sort of similar and reminds me of that is in uh, Luke chapter 13. Um, in Luke chapter 13, we read that some people came to Jesus and they told Jesus that Pilate, um, Pilate, the Roman governor, the Roman, you know, figurehead in that area had in verse one told us, tells us that he mingled their blood at the sacrifice. Now, we don't have a lot of information about this, but what it sounds as if that in the temple in Jerusalem, the holiest place for all Jews, Pilate had spilled blood. Um, I don't know any more details about this other than apparently there had been some sort of fight. There had been some sort of maybe an arrest taking place. But in this, then this sanctuary, in this holy place, Pilate had his soldiers apparently enter and there were some Jews who were killed. Their blood, their blood was mingled at the sacrifice. I'm going to almost suggest that while 
maybe the priest was performing a sacrifice of an animal, of a lamb, for example, that these uh, soldiers of Pilate entered and killed the priest so that their blood had been mingled with the blood of sacrifice. Now this, this would be blasphemous. This would be horrible. There's, it's hard to find the right words to describe just how detestable this would have been to the Jews. And so in, in Luke chapter 13, we have the Jews bringing this information to Jesus and they're trying to get some sort of answer or arise out of him about this. You know, they're asking him, you know, have you heard about this? And, and I think what they're trying to say is, you know, give us your thoughts on this. Now, again, this is a very political issue. Pilate is the Roman government who, or Pilate represents the Roman government who occupies the land and, and he made a government, a political decision to do something. And I don't think Jesus at all was giving Pilate the, 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 you know, he's not approving what happened, but it's interesting what he says, um, to the people. And he said, you know what? You need to perish. You need, you need to repent so that something like this doesn't happen to you. In other words, he seems to suggest that, or he seems to take this event and this political event and just turn it into a spiritual lesson, you know, basically saying, do you think the people that were killed were worse than you? Do you think they were killed because they had done some unforgivable sin? They're probably just like you is, I think, what his implication is saying. Therefore, if you don't repent and follow God, something worse than this could very well happen to you. And in a sense, something worse than that did happen to them in 70 AD. Of course, Rome uh, ordered the uh, destruction of not just the temple, but really of the Jewish people. The, the whole city of Jerusalem was um, besieged and pretty well laid uh, to waste by the Roman government. So something did uh, something worse did happen to them. But again, what he does, he takes this political question. This political or this effort to to engage Jesus in a political debate or argument or position, and he just turns it into a spiritual event, a spiritual question. Uh, he he continues to show us that he's just not interested in the political. Instead, he's interested in the spiritual, the spiritual kingdom which he had that he had come to inaugurate uh, among us here, those of us who believe in him. You know, in Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel, he's a um, uh, uh, Hebrew, excuse me, a Jewish Sanhedrin member on the, the highest court of the Lamb. And in Acts chapter 5, they're trying to figure out what to do with the apostles. Uh, they had been preaching. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. And so the apostles were preaching publicly. And they're trying to decide what to do with them. And Gamaliel stands up and he offers some advice. And what he does is he reminds the Sanhedrin that not long before that event, there was a man by the name of Judas of Galilee. And he had apparently, it doesn't really specifically say this, but that's this is the sense I'm getting, that he had had apparently attempted to um, you know, prove himself the Messiah, and what he did was he he, he gathered together um, several hundred men who he led in revolt. I think there were four hundred men that he that he joined up with, and he attempted to revolt. I, I think against the Roman government, and he was killed, and his men were scattered. Now the point is that this was a false prophet. This is a false Messiah, and what does the false Messiah do? 
Well, he becomes a political figure. Uh, also, in the book of Acts, there's another mention uh, in Acts chapter 21 of an Egyptian who apparently must have been some sort of false prophet or false messiah. And he also led a revolt. Uh, this time with 4,000 men, he tried to... Um, to, to, to do something political. And, and again, the point is, false messiahs, false prophets, they always go for the political. Uh, that That's their arena. That's where they're going to uh, engage in. They're looking for political power. They're looking for political position. Or they've got an agenda. Uh, and therefore, the false ones go for the political. The true messiah continued to duck the political questions and political issues. Why? Because what he's really interested in or is not wrestling free Rome from the backs of, of the, of the necks of the, of the Hebrews, but instead wrestling free the weight of sin. And I don't believe that the kingdom of God has changed in any way. Jesus is still interested, not so much in our political interests, but in freeing us from the weight of our sin. That's why he came. Now, one might say, well, then are you saying Christians shouldn't be political? And I don't have an answer to that. I don't know. I mean, uh, Christians should be first and foremost about the kingdom of God. That, that I think, is very clear from scripture. That, scripture. that is what we are called to do, to be about the kingdom of God, to be doing what we can to expand the kingdom of God. Now, in some cases, maybe that involves stepping into a political arena. I don't know. I can't say that. But if you, as a Christian, feel that your first and foremost call is to be a politician— Um, I think we have a problem there. Uh, Our first and foremost call is to be a Christian, is to be a follower of Jesus and to expand his kingdom any way possible. If that means exploiting the political uh, air of the day, then exploit it. Uh, If it means taking advantage of your position and power to expand the kingdom, then do it, I think. But uh, to be solely focused on political kingdoms, to be solely focused on political agendas, I think, fall short of what it means to be a Christian. So, would Jesus drive an SUV? You know what? I have no clue what he would drive if he were here today. But I do know this. The Spirit of Christ is present today. And the Spirit of Christ is still not interested in political ideas and agendas as much as the Spirit is interested, I believe, in expanding the kingdom of God. And once more, you heard my opinion. And that's what I share here on the Thinking Christian Podcast is just my opinion. I want to thank you for joining me today. And I hope to see you next week or next time on the Thinking Christian Podcast.